Welcome to Best Picture This, where it is always Oscar season. I'm Mike. And I'm Brian. In this show, we reevaluate every Best Picture nominee from the 21st century and decide whether to keep it or kick it from its Oscar pedestal. And it's a cold day in Florida today, low 60s. But the way that you delivered that line, Brian, mm-hmm. made it feel more like high 60s. <laughs> Maybe low 70s. Really? Did, did, the, did the room get a little bit... More saturated with color? It did. And Mm. let's see if this conversation could do the same. Today, we're (laughs) tackling the film that was not nominated for Best Picture in 2009, but maybe it should have been. The movie is a single man. The director, Tom Ford. Let's get into it. All right. So the movie, Colin Firth was awarded the Volpe Cup for Best Actor. Um, The Volpe Cup. The Volpe Cup for Best Actor at which film festival? Shoot. I'm not sure. Everybody knows the Volpe Cup. Was it? Do they? Okay. Um, he received the BAFTA for Best Actor. Uh, he was nominated for Best Actor at the Golden Globes, Screen Actors Guild Awards, the Academy Awards. Julianne Moore was nominated for Golden Globe. Made for $7 million, made $25 million. Rotten Tomatoes, 86. Metacritic, 77. I didn't find one scrap of evidence that there was a standing ovation <sighs> at any film festival. Wow. I, why are we even doing an episode on that? I don't that? know. <laughs> it seems like a waste of time. <laughs> we'll do some questions, trivia, and then keep it or possibly kick it. Okay. So before Single Man, mm-hmm. Tom Ford was mostly known as a fashion designer. Indeed. So it's no surprise mm-hmm. that this movie looks incredible. Ton of attention paid to costuming and set design. It's full of beautiful people. But there's also this recurring visual motif that we kind of talked about already, where the color of the frame gets richer and warmer Mm -hmm. whenever Firth, who is our protagonist, feels a rush of life or acknowledges beauty or feels connected to someone. Mm -hmm. The look is a big deal, but that didn't work for everyone. So we have Suktiv Sandhu from the Daily Telegraph. He said, after a while, scenes become so tweezered, styled, and glossed that the whole (laughs) thing degenerates into a preening perfume commercial. (laughs) How do you feel about that? Um, I the the saturation didn't work for me. Um, I felt like it was just like too obvious all the time, and it was like we're gonna have to hold the frame on Colin Firth for a few extra seconds so that there's enough time for it to change color. Hmm. And I was like, this is kind of like distracting, and I get it. He's feeling something. It's right there. But if you had none of that in the movie. The movie's worse. I think the movie just works <laughs> just fine. You already know that he's feeling something nice, that there's these, that there are these moments and it, 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 it does it without, and I know you disagree. So go ahead, get out your spiel. Well, the style, <laughs> you could say more about the style. I mean, this, the style is 50% at least of this movie. So I'm curious Aesthetics as a whole. Personally, yes, I, I love yeah. the style. Um, and I'll talk more about the radiating color thing in yeah. a second. But the aesthetics overall in the movie, I think, are good. Do you There's, feel like they're overwhelming the, the story at all? No. Like as far as like the, well, I'm not sure what you mean by by the rest of the style. I mean, I think what I liked about the style was there are, I thought it was very deft, the the cutting to like... You know, he, he's Colin Firth is grieving and then you cut to some of his memories of like he's going and, and sobbing and falling into Julianne Moore's arms, you know, at the doorstep. Mm-hmm. And that's just like cut with no sound and and all that yeah. his his memory of when he's, you know, a kid. All that stuff is great. 
as far as like the the world of the whenever this was i think 50s, 50s maybe 50s. early 60s um it's madman era yes this came out it, two years after Mad in, Men. in fact um um the let's see the production design is by the same team that makes sense. That did Mad Men. Okay. Um, and, and John Hamm is an uncredited voice cameo in this movie. Hmm. So anyway, but I, I think the movie does look great. It looks convincing. You're 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 in that world. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm not gonna <laughs> I'm not gonna say. Um, well, now I've already doing. I I, <laughs> I don't want to compare it to Kubrick because. I don't think that it's at that level, yeah. but that kind of obsessive attention to detail, I do think is there mm-hmm. where you can just tell that like, there is not a wrinkle on like any person's shirt who is even <laughs> in the background. And, Tom like, Ford's blurry. like, cut, iron that shirt again. That's one of my shirts. <laughs> yeah. One of your hairs is out of place. Like that's the kind of the look of this movie. It's so controlled. And it works well because that's who the character is. Yes. Colin Firth is that meticulous guy. Yeah. And that's kind of what I want to focus on. The, the physicalizing of the emotions is. Yes. I love it because we are in the 50s or early 60s, whatever. It doesn't matter. We're in a, a time where Colin Firth, the character, can't share his interior life he has to hide everything about mm-hmm. um, his love life and his private life, everything behind the curtains and the door of his house because he's gay in the 1950s or whatever. Mm-hmm. So to me, it's almost like when you have those moments where the color pops, it's like his interior life is peeking through or spilling over that kind of like hidden barrier that always has to be there. So it's like he has to tamp himself down in order to be normal or accepted or whatever, or at least just not hated in the community. And like, this is our peak inside. And I just, I love that. I love that little, that little stylistic choice because it's, it, it does so much with so little. I think you can do all that with, we're already in his point of view. You know, we're following him around as he's getting ready. We're in his mind for the flashbacks, for the dream at the beginning for all that stuff. We're, we're already so associated with his psyche that it's not really needed. I, it, it's okay. It didn't ruin the movie for me by any means. Cause I thought it was tremendous. Um, but I can see where, you know, didn't really add as much as it distracted. But then there's also these reasonable moments. minds can disagree. Well, they can, they can, but just as far as the tone goes with, um, you know, that kind of beauty tragedy thing. Then there's also moments of dark comedy here. I loved the dark comedy moments. <laughs> I'm like laughing when, when he can make you laugh while someone is trying to kill himself. Yeah. It's so weird, but like, I mean, it's surprise. Like, what do you want out of art, you know, out of a movie? And to not be want... making fun of the character no, in that moment not either. At all. It's... Not at all. It's very serious and, and heartbreaking at the same time. It is designed to make you laugh. Yes. It's really weird, but it works. Yeah. And, and the movie is just a total mood thing. And I think yeah. the, the way that it rides that line between like gray and color and clarity and fog and mm-hmm. tragedy and, and beauty, that's what I love about it. And especially the first time that I watched it, all that stuff worked emotionally, like just like that. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you about Colin Firth. So he was nominated for Best Actor. Mm -hmm. Uh, Roger Ebert praised him, saying he plays George superbly as a man who prepares to to uh, prepares a face to meet the faces that he meets. Um, He betrays very little emotion, and certainly his thoughts cannot be read in his eyes. I thought that was interesting. 
And I agree with that. Mm-hmm. Why does that make it great acting? I, I thought <laughs> I thought he was I thought he was good. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting. Like we can't get into his thoughts at all. Aren't you supposed to do that with acting and you know see more than just the face? I mean, I didn't feel like I couldn't get into his thoughts. I was just very aware of the fact that he has a constant wall up, which is again where the color comes in because this is this is somebody who can't share what he is honestly thinking or feeling with almost anyone except for Julianne Moore. So, didn't you you have been a critic off the air in the air. in our secret conversations <laughs> of Ryan Gosling? Yeah. For not really, you know, he's just got a stone face and, you know, he does doesn't a little, do anything. He does a little smirk. Yeah, which is adorable. Yeah. But why, <laughs> why, why, why is he not good and Colin Firth is good? I'm assuming that you think Colin Firth is good in this movie. Yeah, I think Colin yeah. Firth is, is great in this movie. And I guess it's because I've seen Colin Firth in a bunch of other stuff where I've seen more range and I, I don't want to make this a Ryan Gosling <laughs> roast because you know, he's got stuff to offer, but I just, I feel like in his movies, there's a lot of leaning on the fact that this is a very attractive person. Mm-hmm. And so you can get away with having almost no charisma and doing nothing <laughs> where if you take a movie like drive and you put an uglier person in the lead role, mm-hmm. You like the the lead, what is it Michelle Williams like yeah. she's not gonna think this guy's charming. <laughs> <laughs> I just couldn't get over that. This is not about drive, but it's um, not about drive. I think when Rod, I think that when Colin Firth, what makes this like an outstanding performance is not really those moments. It's it's everything that he's in with Julianne Moore. Oh man, yeah, Julianne and, and Moore. Anything with her, I'm is gonna worth say seeing. Julianne Moore is a BPT GIE in my opinion. I support it. Of course, it has to be has to be shared. It has to be. I, I will share it. Both let's, let's get her in there. Julianne Moore is mm-hmm. going on the t-shirts whenever we make them for all the G- BPT GIE nominations. Yeah. Um, but yeah, her performance in this is just it's in, it's incredible. And in case anyone's not familiar, yeah, BPT GIE, a best picture that's good in everything. Good in everything. Yeah. I think everybody probably knows. that. I think everyone worldwide. Probably it's ever, understands it's, that it's, acronym. it's out there. Yeah. Um, so. George um, says this in the uh, in the final lines. If you haven't seen the movie yet, pause it. Okay, now that you've watched it, a few times in my life, I've had moments of absolute clarity when for a few brief seconds, the silence drowns out the noise and I can feel rather than think. Um, and he concludes by saying, that these moments cling me back to the present. And I realize that everything is exactly the way it was meant to be. And then he dies of a heart attack. Mm-hmm. So was, is that ironic and nothing is really as it's meant to be, or is, is he supposed to die? Oh, this is my second question to you. Almost exactly. Whoa, that's, that was my second question. Because this ending takes almost all of the wind out of this movie sales to me. The movie is just chugging along, just crushing it. The style, the performances, it's all working together and it's clicking. And then this ending happens and it takes like all of the grace and subtlety out. And it's like, it happens fast. And all I can come up with are three possible explanations for this sort of... Let's hear them. Okay. In order. 
All right. So I think because <laughs> I was gonna as like my part B of this question, I was gonna ask you why is why was the choice made mm-hmm. to have him die naturally after deciding not to commit suicide when the whole movie is kind of him preparing to do that? Mm-hmm. Is it because it would have been too happy of an ending to have him have sort of a moment of clarity and realize life is beautiful? Or could Ford just not resist the irony of like, okay, I'm not going to do it. And then it happens. Or is this death supposed to be seen as um, not happy, but as uh, let's just say it played, played as a, as a positive thing almost in a way, like he achieved some kind of enlightenment. And then after that, there's, there's no more experience to be had. And so like the only thing left to do is die. I couldn't really decide after seeing it if this was just a narrative cop-out. It's kind of like, how are we going to end this? Um, let's just have him die. You know, that's kind of what it felt like a little bit. But my honest reaction to it was, I think that I'll know better how I feel about this last scene when I watch it again. This was my watch it again. I think I had already seen it once. But to me, my thought is, to me that I was willing to let it, let it slide. I didn't really know if I, you know, accepted this ending as a, as a good ending or kind of a cop out like that. Um, I do think that basically he's a, he's, we're supposed to see him as a tragic character. Mm -hmm. This is about, you know, you know, how, how is our society, how's the society in the fifties, um, allowing a gay man to survive. And in a way it doesn't, Maybe that's kind of what they're what what what's happening at the end. I don't know, hmm. but um, as far as like, why did he have to die? Would the movie have been better if like he is, I don't know, talking to Julianne Moore on the phone the next day, or if uh, I don't know? Can we come up with something that, that would have that's been what stronger I mean with, with those know? three options? If he has this moment of clarity and then just decides, you know what, I'm not going to do it. I could understand why they might think that that ending is kind of weak. What yeah. like he just goes through all this and decides not to do it. We Too need, happy. We need something else. Feels a little sappy. It's got to be a little more tragic to me. Yeah. Not the tone of the rest of the movie. <clears throat> but you know what this reminded me of is the key maker in Matrix Reloaded, where mm-hmm. they're they're getting the key maker. They got him on the highway. They're bringing him to this place where they need him to unlock this door. He unlocks the door. Lets Neo in. His purpose fulfilled. He gets shot at that moment. And that's when he dies. But this movie is not about purpose and plot. This I'm is sure that clearly Tom Ford a heart was, movie, not a head hev- movie. I'm sure Tom Ford is heavily influenced by the Wachowskis. My, my point is not that they <laughs> took it from no, the Matrix. It's that in that movie, it makes sense because that movie is so much about logic this movie is not about logic. This movie is about feeling. If, if we're going to agree that it's a mood movie, then it doesn't matter the, the sequence of events. It doesn't matter um, cause and effect. And him dying right after making a choice not to die is this weird subversion of, of cause and effect. It, 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 I just cannot make sense of it. I think that all, I mean, another option is that this is a nihilistic worldview. You know, this is, yeah. this is kind of like the Coen brothers um, saying that there's no, there's no meaning for anything in life. And, you know, he maybe had this epiphany and maybe he, there is a character arc here. You know, he was going to kill himself and he decides not to in the end. There's a change that happens with him. 
and he sees, you know, sees the good in the world in some ways. And, but we're going to subvert that by saying, and actually there is no sense in the world. He just dies anyway. That could be part of it. And I think that that's kind of, you know, sadly how a lot of like movie makers see the world. Um, but I don't know. Yeah. It, it, it almost in a way revealed, um, on this watch anyway, revealed more of a tendency in Ford toward shortcuts. Cause I yeah. realized in this movie, it's so full of these deep soul searching conversations, like before sunrise level conversations that you would have <laughs> to have on the last day of your life in order to make everything seem important and be like, Oh, okay. Connections with people. That's, that's what matters. But the whole movie is, is full of them. Mm-hmm. And I can tot I love before this, you know, sunrise, sunset and midnight. And I could vibe on that tone but it needs to pay off in some kind of subtle way and this one like literally and figuratively just kind of flatlines it keels over yeah and uh it really left a sour taste in my mouth this 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 time around it's definitely not the strongest thing in the movie to me but again because of how much you know the tom ford has built my trust throughout the movie i'm 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 willing to to revisit it you know maybe when we I think isn't a plan after we get to the end of the best century, best movies that we revisit all of them. <laughs> no, start over again. One hundred percent. I thought, not I thought we were doing that. Um, okay, so my my last question to you is about the Cuban Missile Crisis. Okay, why is that in this movie? I I don't even. I have. It was just not, never didn't think about it one time. It was just on the news. You know, um, it's kind of a an interesting. Um, I'm not sure if it's there, it's meant to like place you in certain time and that's mm-hmm. all that really matters. There is one line that, um, where his colleague, um, George Falconer played by Colin Firth, his colleague says, there'll be no time for sentiment when the Russians fire a missile at us. And this great line that I wrote down or typed in my phone when I was watching this, um, his, George Falconer's response is this. If it's going to be a world with no time for sentiment, Grant, it's not a world that I want to live in. Mm-hmm. Incredible line. Loved it. Not sure if it's from the, the novel that's based on or if that was part of the new, you know, whatever. But that line, um, if, it's, if it's going to be a world with no time for sentiment, see, he, I feel like his sentiment is gone at that point in his character. He doesn't really feel anything. He's, he's kind of like, being revived almost by the story, you know, and we're trying to breathe life into him, which is what those colorful, the saturation moments happen. Mm-hmm. Does he believe this line? If it's a world without sentiment, it's not a world I want to live in. Is that why he's going to kill himself? Because he doesn't feel the sentiment. Does he really want the sentiment or is he kind of given up on it? I, I can't really tell what, what his character, but it's interesting that his character says that, you know, in that point of the movie, I think it's like a third of the way in or something. Yeah. It's kind of early where he I, has not had a, his real awakenings um, in the movie. I think that he means it. And I think that he goes into this plan very uh, wide eyed, you know, very clear eyed about this is a logical decision. I'm going to, you know, do this tonight, but first I'm going to go to work. I've got all my affairs in order. Yep. And he gives he, away all his money. He gives away all of his money and he makes a concerted effort that day to make conversation with people that maybe he wouldn't normally yeah. and to try to notice details that he probably, you know, got yeah. got, got swept got swept aside in, in his in his normal life. 
I think that all this, what I kind of got from the Darkly comic, you know, I'm going to kill myself, got my gun in my mouth, but this pillow is so uncomfortable. <laughs> I, got, I, I need another pillow. I, I'm going to get a suitcase. I, I'm, I'm going to get a sleeping bag. I don't want to ruffle these, you know, these sheets. Yeah. So I'm going to get a sleeping bag and like, I can't get comfortable. I'm going to put it over my head. You know, it's just like one thing after another. It's really just him stalling. <laughs> As much as he can't get comfortable, I think. And the fact that he's stalling, I think it kind of shows that he's only 98% ready to do this. Yeah. And then he, it's really that he's deciding not to. It's just that he's, I don't know. I I think that all that kind of swirls around this line as well. Like, does he think that there's sentiment or not? I think he definitely does. And I think the fact that he opens himself up so much on that last day is the only thing that gets that student to come over, which is the only thing that gets him to basically decide, okay, you know, there are still people that I can connect with and this is what's important. Did the Julianne Moore conversation help him decide not to kill himself? Or was it all Nicholas Holt, which I think is, by the way, the weak link in the movie, Nicholas yeah. Holt. He's kind of weak acting. It doesn't really, the character doesn't really make sense. And <laughs> it ha- it's another thing that happens kind of fast. And again, something I didn't really mind the first time around. Huh. But then, I don't know, it, maybe I just gave him the benefit of the doubt the first time. And yeah. then this time having that sour taste in my mouth more kind of highlighted uh things like that that i didn't have as much patience for um a few trivia points sure tom ford this is a hilarious bit of mythologizing you ready for this tom ford at six years old okay rearranged the furniture in his house that's incredible i mean that that shows that he's going to become a famous you know designer Mm -hmm. he gave his mother feedback on her hair and shoes at six years old (laughs) wow (laughs) um his he said in multiple interviews that his first lover was Ian Falconer, who wrote the Olivia the Pig books, and that's why George Falconer has a last name of Falconer. Hmm. Falconer is not in the no, in the novel. Oh, really? It's I just, was trying to draw some meaning George. out of that last name. No, well, I don't know. It could be that there's more to it, but um, it's a great last name, Falconer. Um, in 2013, Jay Z releases the song Tom Ford. I mean, you you know you've made it mm-hmm. when you are the title of a Jay-Z song. That's true. Um, and it was nominated for Best Rap Performance, by the way. Um, so, keep it or kick it. This is another one like Precious, that if you asked me in 2009, I would have said, there. yeah. Yep, it would have been in my five, hmm. but that was then. And I don't think totally differently of the movie now. It's just that sour taste that I'm bringing up from the ending hmm. that I think just, I think I hate the ending is the problem. Like the more I think about it, it, it I can't find, I can't find ways to redeem it, you know? Yeah. I, I, and, and that bothers me. And I don't know, it makes me question some of the craft earlier in the movie that I think I forgave um, the first time around. Hmm. For me, um, I think that if Julianne Moore were not in the movie, I don't know that I would want to keep it, but because she's in it mm-hmm. and it strengthens the movie, I think she gives us this backbone. Yeah. And um, uh, uh, I don't know about a backbone. Um, anyway, you, you sympathize with her. 
all the the issues of like you know she's like questioning how real his relationship was Uh she's being so honest while they're both drunk you know they're um it's like is she trying to seduce him she she, her character you know there's so much pathos there and she delivers so well and it has such an interesting role in his life and in that day that um i think and and again the the title a single man Mm -hmm. you know um this anyway that that dynamic i think makes the movie um elevated to a keep level for me all along with all the other things that are really great in it like that one line i was mentioning and especially Um, those two characters are the embodiment of loneliness but yes portrayed in two polar opposite ways and i love that you know he's so buttoned up about it and Mm -hmm. she's just putting it all out there and kind of just desperate to I, from that scene, my interpretation was desperate to just get yeah. him to basically say, like, it's she, not working for either of us. She Let's wants, just get together and exactly. not be lonely together. She wants to sort of seduce him, sort of just keep him as a friend um, at the same time. And it's 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 just it's great. Um, but uh, yeah, as a, as it is right now, I would say it's sitting there in my top five. OK, I think that there is greatness here and especially yeah. it's for its first movie. I know. And I think that almost gives have you it a seen the next extra... one. I have. I'm not Noc- a really big fan. What is it called? Nocturnal, Nocturnal animals. animals. I haven't seen it. Yeah. But so impressive for a yeah. first uh, a debut. That's that's totally. pretty cool. Um, all right. In the next episode, we're going to talk about not a single man, but a serious man. Oh. The Coen Brothers movie about Larry Gopnik, a man whose life takes one bad turn after another. And he's stuck asking why. Oscar so man instead of so what? <laughs> Is that a thing? Oscar so man. Until then, find us on social media or wherever you listen to podcasts. And for 16 years of Golden Takes, head over to letterbox.com slash Mike Cavalieri. To support the show, visit patreon.com slash this. Thanks to WNZF and the illustrious Mark Gilliland for producing. Also, please remember to rate, review, subscribe. Thanks again for listening to Best Picture This, the podcast where the hosts only wear Tom Ford. <laughs> Take it.